on episode 88 of the new 8 Days of Geek podcast. A cheaper switch, Disney Plus, and Facebook didn't mean to. Stay tuned. of the new eight days geek podcast i'm your host jesse miller and joining me as always the man who's been ionized but he's okay now sean scott i don't know what that means it's uh buckaroo bonsai mm, oh yeah be a better geek sean nope i tried watching that movie like one time did not get into it really yeah that was uh yeah nope <laughs> was not my thing, man. No eighth. In fact, I think I think we've had this conversation before, and I think the reason I watched it was because you made me try to watch it. I think that that's probably true. I try to make everybody watch it. It's a classic. Not for me. Christopher Lloyd, um, John Lithgow. You know, it's it's just classic, man. It's a classy movie. Classy movie. <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> the we we uh, apologize for the small break in programming. Wizard World happened, and then um, I'm not gonna lie, Sean, I forgot. <laughs> nothing came up. Nothing was happening. I just one weekend went past after Wizard World St. Louis, and um, on Sunday night I went, oh, oh shit, <laughs> we were supposed to record. So, I mean, I wouldn't say I specifically forgot. I just just allowed allowed my yeah, I allowed (laughs) myself to forget as well. (laughs) Well, you know, shit happens. So I I consciously forgot. Okay. well, we're back. Um, Let's go ahead and kick into the blurbs. Um, So first one I got here, we've talked about MoviePass. We've talked about Cinemia. And how cool MoviePass was back when it did its thing. How cool Cinemia sounded. Well, too late. <laughs> uh, Cinemia has said that they are stopping uh, their business in the U.S. completely. 100%. Um, Cinemia has also filed for bankruptcy. So that's a problem. Um Obviously, there's just no way. Maybe that means that tickets are too expensive in the United States. If two companies can't provide a uh, subscription to movie tickets, you know, maybe we're charging too much. Who knows? I'm not sure. Either that, or we just go see way too many movies, which could be it too. But um, if you were a member of Cinemia, they probably owe you a refund. So I've linked a article in the show notes from Lifehacker. Um, basically talking about, you know, first thing to do is get a hold of your bank and stop payment, do whatever you can do to keep them from taking any more money, and then try to get something back. Um, 
So yeah, that that sucks. Another one bites the dust, man. And yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, uh, it's just more more theaters need to create their own subscriptions, and I think it would be okay at that point. You know, because a theater is not going to go out of business giving away their own tickets. Because they're going to make their money back like they do now with concessions and everything like that. So, I think more theaters need to jump on the AMC uh, bandwagon. But, that's just me. I actually, you know, since I I got rid of my MoviePass subscription, I think I've only gone to see like two or three movies. I, I haven't gone to... So... Basically, by putting places like MoviePass and Cinemia out of business with high ticket prices, movie theaters have gotten less of my money. So, sucks yeah. for them. And when I do go see a movie, I don't buy any concessions. Um, you know, because back then, I was paying a monthly fee, I would get my ticket, and I'd go spend, you know, 20 bucks on concessions. You know, if I didn't have lunch before I went to see a movie, I'd just go buy lunch at the movie theater because I wasn't paying for a ticket. Now I have to buy a ticket. I'm not buying so much as a freaking soda or a box of goobers. Who buys goobers? Come on. I buy goobers. I love goobers. Goobers, raisinets, man. All right. <clears throat> you mix them together, though. Get goobers and raisinets. Bam. Uh, so next one. Uh, this one's really just kind of fun. So, Sean, do this. Click on the link in the show notes. It'll actually take you to a Google page where I've searched for Thanos, okay? And then... Mm-hmm. All right, before I, before I do this, this uh, I, I, I am under a current moratorium against Googling or searching anything Marvel or Avengers related in order to avoid any spoilers whatsoever. Uh, judging by what I'm looking at, you're fine. Okay. All right, so uh, now I've clicked on the link. Where am, where am I going here? All right, so now on the right-hand side of your screen, it'll have a little uh, Wikipedia kind of a thing about Thanos and fictional character and blah, blah, blah. Yes. It has the Infinity Gauntlet. Yes. Click on the Infinity Gauntlet. Okay. Uh-huh. And it will snap, and yeah. half of your search results will disappear. Oh, nice. <laughs> they, will be, uh, they will be dusted. Oh, well, that's fun. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> hey, I always enjoy it when Google does a fun thing like this. I know. It's just a little Easter egg, but, you know, it's it's interesting. And then it'll once it gets rid of, like, half the things on the screen, it'll go up and it'll actually change the uh, counter to where it only gives you a certain number of results. About oh, half. yeah. And a bunch of the pictures of heroes just disappeared, too. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that was good. That was a, that's a clever little joke. <laughs> All right. So. Oh, and by the way. Um. Uh, Sean, have you seen Endgame? No, that's why I'm okay. under a moratorium. So, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not reading anything. I'm still one movie behind. I haven't oh seen Captain God. Marvel yet, so oh, oh yeah, me uh, I'm gonna have to avoid spoilers for you know a substantial amount of time. Okay, so this as so for as of right now, I can tell you this will be one of the few spoiler-free podcast episodes out there because neither of us have actually seen Endgame. <laughs> Yeah, I won't. I probably won't see it for a while. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and go this coming week because I can't. I won't be able to keep spoilers out until you know that long. So oh, yeah, I can. I can assure you, I will not see it in that amount of time. So <sighs> you got to get on it, man. Maybe like that. 
I mean, I managed to, you know, avoid about, I don't know, 90% of any spoilers from uh, Infinity War uh, before I saw it. And I didn't see it until it was available on video. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, I'd like to see this in the theater, obviously, but I, I still have to see Captain Marvel first, which means I have to go see that in the theater first as well, because it's not even available for uh, on demand yet or anything. Yeah, it's true. Okay. Next one is you. Yep, just a quick television note. Uh, Netflix has announced a cancellation of one of their original programs. Uh, The Zomcom, as they've been calling it, Santa Clarita Diet, has been canceled after its third season dropped recently, uh, March 29th to be exact. So those 10 episodes are the last 10 episodes of the zombie comedy um, I don't know. I watched the first couple episodes of this show. We didn't really get into it. Uh, it seemed okay. Uh, I like I like Timothy Oliphant, but uh, I, we just didn't uh, just didn't get into it quite as much as I expected to. It kind of fell out of our fell out of my queue. Did you watch this? Uh, yeah, I watched a little bit of it. Um, I, it it didn't fall out of my queue. It just I just got too much other stuff that I don't actually watch that many Netflix things. Like, yeah, I don't think I've opened Netflix for months at this point because I have other things I'm trying to watch. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm middle of the road with this because since I wasn't attached to the show, I, you know, I, I'm not that bummed that it got canceled, but I'm kind of bummed because I just, I like the cast. So I was kind of hoping, that, you know, by the time I got around to watching it, it'd still be around. That's a- well, from what I've uh, garnered from the, the from what I've read, it uh, it appears that they had somewhat teased uh, a possible ending after three seasons, anyway, uh, through the, the the through the media and the you know the advertising for this coming season. So I would assume that that season ended in a way that you know would be a fitting end if it were the end of the show. You know what I mean? I don't know because I haven't watched it, but from what I've read, it sounded like, you know, they at least knew it could potentially be the end of the show, so it shouldn't have been. Hopefully it wasn't, you know, some kind of cliffhanger or anything. You know, that's when it's really frustrating when you're watching a television series and they don't know it's going to be canceled and, you know, the damn thing ends in a cliffhanger of some kind. You just never get a resolution. That's that's the most frustrating yeah, not like Timothy Oliphant hasn't been attached to a show that's done that before. Right, right, right. <laughs> Which I mean, hey, we we got a we, we didn't put it anywhere in the show notes or anything, but they they did drop a trailer for the Deadwood movie. Yeah, uh, if you wanna if you wanna go out there and Google it if you're interested. So, um, but there you go. I mean, at least he gets to come back and and do a movie, you know, to wrap that whole show up. Heck yeah. All right, cool. All right, so now we'll go on to gaming, gaming stuff. Um, not a whole lot here. And this one, I I made the same joke in the show notes when they were uh, teasing this thing, too. <laughs> uh, they say, uh, it's true, this console has no disc. I'm pretty sure I made that same joke because I couldn't not have made that joke. Uh, Microsoft has unveiled the discless, you got to say that very clearly, discless Xbox One S. Uh, it's all digital edition is what they call it. Uh, it's $249. And the only difference is it has no optical drive, no CD drive, no Blu-rays or anything like that. 
Um, it looks identical. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Like I even watched a teardown of the console itself, and the only difference is there's a big empty spot where the CD drive was. <laughs> Everything else is exactly the same. Uh, I don't. I the thing that gets me is the price because it does take it down. Um, you know, I mean retail, it takes it down about fifty dollars, but. I don't I don't know if that's enough to make it compelling. You know, because is $50 worth basically a Blu-ray player? Um I understand that's probably, you know, reasonably close to the cost of the parts they took out, you know. Um but man, I would have loved to have seen it go down to like 199. You know, because they are making all their money on digital purchases, so I, uh, I don't know. It it comes with Minecraft, Sea of Thieves, and Forza Horizon Three, uh, digital codes, obviously. Um, and it's a one terabyte <clears throat> hard drive, which is nice that the that the hard drive is bigger. And uh, the Xboxes actually do a really good job of external storage. So if you have a USB drive to plug into them. They actually do a really good job of um, accessing games off of those and not showing any kind of real lag or anything. So that that's not that big of a deal. Um, but man, I don't know. Fifty bucks is not enough, I don't think, to get rid of. So on the Xbox, that this is fifty dollars less than just the the typical Xbox One S. How big is the hard drive on on that model? I believe it comes with 500. Okay, so they're doubling the hard drive size, removing the optical drive, and giving it to you for 50 bucks less. Yeah, but the uh, the issue is hard drive storage doesn't actually double price when it doubles size. Right. So, I mean, you're talking about maybe, I mean, honestly, 500 gigabyte hard drives are um, more expensive than... Uh, um, <clears throat> than a terabyte, the one terabyte per gigabyte, you know. Um, so like I'm looking at a 500 gig drive here for thirty six dollars on Amazon. I'm just spitballing on you know um, numbers, but sure, thirty six bucks, and then we'll look at another one, same model. Uh, you got about forty, forty two. For one terabyte. So it doesn't double the price of the drive. It's just, you know. But, <clears throat> you know, it, it, and the hard drive size doesn't really bother me. Because, like I said, it, one terabyte's cool. Um, it's just, <clears throat> and I don't think the price is unfair. $250 is a fair price. I don't, I don't think it is competitive to Microsoft's own console, though. Um <laughs> So if I go on Amazon here, <clears throat> the holy grail of shopping experiences, um, and I search for an Xbox One S, all right, and I just start scrolling. All right, first first one that pops up on the list is Microsoft Xbox One S, one terabyte console, so it has the same hard drive. Right. <clears throat> no games included. Right. $206. All right, um, another one. One terabyte console with Battlefield Five included, two hundred and twenty-eight dollars. Right. So the 
the issue that I see is that a lot of a lot of the older consoles are cheaper now. Yeah, there's there's a lot of discounted. Yeah, and the problem is that <clears throat> this new one is not because I'm, you know, it's it's pre-ordered right now uh, on Amazon, but it is two fifty, and right above it, you know, is a two hundred nine dollar one t- one terabyte console, uh, just with no games. So, I I would have liked to have seen it at two hundred dollars, but I understand two fifty, and it may debut at two fifty, and then you know the be uh yeah deals and bundles and things like that because that's what they say they kind of mentioned in that article that you know even they're mentioning the price point uh, of the of the standard one s is 299 but it's typically seen with discounted bundle deals at, oh. at around at around 230 so uh um you know you may see the same thing with this who knows here's the hoping <clears throat> um i don't think i'm particularly the target market for a discless uh console but I'm sure there are people who are, you know, um, I got too many disc games as it is right now. Okay. Um, next thing we got here, there has been a report, um, from Bloomberg. We got a wall street journal report. Um, not come on autoplay. Uh, we got a wall street journal report, uh, like last month saying that Nintendo was, uh, Possibly going to release a higher-powered version of the Nintendo Switch. Uh, Nintendo put the kibosh on that and said, nope, 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 not at all. We're not going to be putting out a higher-powered version of the Switch at E3. Now, they did say at E3, so they didn't completely destroy the rumor, but it wouldn't be anytime soon. However, we now have a, have a story from Bloomberg coming out that they are... Um, expecting a less expensive switch model um the report also mentions mentions a second switch model one that has quote enhanced features that is uh targeted at quote avid gamers (laughs) avid what makes you an avid gamer i wonder is that quantifiable um i don't know what is you know, I guess you'd have to look up the dictionary definition of the word avid. <laughs> All right. So um, uh, Bloomberg did report that a more powerful switch system is not in the works. So I wonder, um, enhanced features for more avid gamers. What would make, uh, let's see, blue, built-in Bluetooth for headsets. Um, huh. Different controllers. The Joy-Cons are not bad, but they're not great. So you could definitely make different controllers. Um, a better stand would be nice. <clears throat> the stand on it. I mean, they already they already make better controllers. You can get like the the I don't know what they call it, the Elite or the Pro, the Pro controller. controller. Yeah. yeah, and those look like a, a damn xbox controller well, essentially yeah and they are they're a really nice controller but it's one more thing you have to carry around sure i, I want like um more ergonomic um joy cons to slide on the side to make it easier a little easier to hold and change the layout of the thumbsticks because the the alternating thumbstick layout i know it's so that you can do um, one player on each joy con but it's kind of a pain in the ass so um 
<clears throat> the Wall Street Journal says that uh, the suggested uh, new, less expensive switch could cut features like uh, controller vibration and stuff like that. Uh, that would make sense um, because the Joy-Cons by themselves uh, go for about $80. So, you know, if you made them cheaper, the console would be cheaper by, you know, by proxy. Um, how, how cheap would a Nintendo Switch have to be for you to get in on it, Sean? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I've actually grown a little more fond of this thing because, uh, we got one at work. The, the boss bought one and put it in the lunchroom. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Our boss is great. Uh, so, uh, so the president of the company bought one and and put it in the lunchroom for us. And we, I've played, uh, some super smash brothers and some Mario Kart, And those are like, you know, the kind of games that I would play, you know what I mean? Um, although I could also, you know, I could see myself, you know, getting into maybe a Zelda game again. Um, however, I don't know. I still haven't finished Fallout 4, you know, so that's devoting a lot of time to stuff. So um, I have grown a little more fond of it. Uh, I don't know what it would need to get down to for me to really jump on board. What's it at right now? I I mean, I think about 300 bucks. Oh, yeah, definitely not. I'm thinking 199. Okay. So let's see. To get it down to 199, I think you would have to maybe they could sell one. with just a charger and not a dock, because the dock is like seventy bucks. Uh, um, yeah, but see, is the what? A, and I don't even know what the dock is. The dock charges it and outputs it to a TV. Oh yeah, see, I'm definitely gonna need that. Like that's the whole that's the selling point because I don't want it as a handheld system. Like I have only I want to play it on the TV. You know that's that's how we do it at work. You know what I mean? Like we play it on the til- on the television that's mounted on our, on the wall of the of the lunchroom. Okay, so maybe instead of a dock, they make a cable, and the cable does the same thing. It just doesn't hold it up and nice and pretty. Um, that might shave off couple bucks um then you get rid of the vibration in the controllers get a cheaper version of the joy cons uh see um i'm trying to think of any way you could cut costs on it but there's not a whole lot to it honestly i mean it's got some internal storage but the most part it's made to have a memory card in it um yeah i'm not sure that'd be a That'd be a crunch without uh, taking down the processing power of the console itself, which you don't want to do because the Switch yeah. has enough to do what it's got to do, but it, it's not, you know, super crazy, ridiculous, powerful. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and and again, like if, if uh, you know, there are always going to be discount deals and bundles and things like that. So you know, um, and I think that a system like this is something I could. I could set up and, and like my wife might be able to also get some enjoyment out of, you know, which she has on occasion, you know, played like we spent one night playing street fighter two all night long, you know, um, you know, when it comes to what you guys call it, (laughs) right. When, uh, when it comes to, when it comes to fairly rudimentary, you know, old school type games, uh, and I, and I don't mean to say that the switch is, you know, any kind of, in any way archaic or anything, but, uh, you know, Mario Kart and super smash brothers are just, you know, driving games or fighting games. It's not like, you know, 
anything incredibly in depth. Sure. When I when I watched her try to play Call of Duty one time, it was incredibly just awful. It was. It was <laughs> I mean, uh, so when the screen only goes side to side, you know, uh, or you're following directly behind your vehicle, you know, like in a driving game, it's much more, uh, much more easy for her to get the hang of games like that. And I think the Nintendo switch might be something that she could get some enjoyment out of and I could play more video games. <laughs> that is the end game, isn't it? But yeah, I don't know at 300, definitely not at $300. I'm still not interested, you know, at that price point now, but Well, there you go, Nintendo. You know what you got to do. I have to tell you something, Trevor. It's time for TV news. All right, John. All right. Let's start off with a couple Netflix stories. Uh, Mike Myers has signed a deal with Netflix uh, to start a series. Uh, it's going to be a half hour, and it has received a six-episode order. And probably imagine it will feature Mike Myers portraying multiple different characters. So that's about all we know so far. Um, but, uh, I mean, doesn't that alone give the show enough back, if you will, to, you know, check it out? I mean, Mike Myers is pretty good, right? Wayne's World is classic. I am. I mean, I'm a fan of Mike Myers. Um, I think he's funny. I I love. I mean, I love. I love all Mike Myers. Honestly, I love. Um, you know, Wayne's World. Um, Austin the Powers Austin, was hilarious. Austin Powers movies, yeah. Shrek. They were good. I like Shrek. You know. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think I'll, I think this is something I would absolutely give a give a chance when it when it debuts on Netflix. So and being half hour comedy, you know, that's right in my wheelhouse. Um, and honestly, even right now, have you seen the current iteration of the Gong Show on like network television? I have not. Okay, you you are familiar with the Gong Show, correct? Yes. Okay, so they rebooted the Gong Show probably like two summers ago. I think that's the thing. I think it's like a summer show. Uh, it's one of those odd television shows that only debuts new episodes during the summer when everything else is off. And um, it is, it's very strange because it's the Gong Show, so it's already just going to be a bunch of weird ass know what I mean? And um, the host of the show is a character named Tommy Maitland, and it is played by Mike Myers. He hosts this game show as a character, and the character is this weird British dude. And uh, and I swear to you, I watched like two episodes of this show before I knew it was Mike Myers. I was like, who is this weird-ass British guy hosting this show? Where did they get this guy? Turns out it's Mike Myers with a big honking fake nose. <laughs> yeah. Um did you uh did you see Bohemian Rhapsody yet? No, I have not. He's in that too. And you don't realize it's him until you watch it like the second time around. <laughs> yeah, I heard just like uh was he was in uh was it Inglorious Bastards? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. And that was another one where, uh, you know, he, you, you just didn't even realize it was him. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he was Mike Wires. Yeah, I think he played a Nazi or he might've even played Hitler. Like, I'm not sure. Yep. Yeah, that was, I see him. <clears throat> That's awesome. I, I mean, he's, he's a good, you know, he's a, he's a good actor. The guy can hide. That's for sure. Yeah. So it should be fun. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm open to, especially against six episodes. I mean, come on. They're clearly not investing a whole lot of time into all this. My only curiosity is just to be like, what format will it be? Because I'm much, I mean, I'm cool with him playing multiple characters and stuff like that, but, uh, I'm looking for more of a, some type of scripted comedy series as opposed to like a sketch comedy show. You know what I mean? Um, I'm, I'm less interested in it if it's some type of, of sketch comedy thing, you know, where each 30 minutes is a whole different. Yeah. Skit, like a Saturday night live, you know? Um, so hopefully it'll be like an actual scripted series of some kind where he's just playing multiple roles. So, All right, and the next story I've got for you is some more Netflix news, and I like this one a little more. I think I'm a little more excited about this one. So Netflix has ordered a new adult adult animated series from uh, the Gravity Falls showrunner, Shion Takeuchi. Now, I have not watched Gravity Falls, you know, like from beginning to end. However, I have seen a little bit of this cartoon, and it is a very entertaining uh, television series. So I'm very intrigued by the showrunner getting, uh, you know, an adult animated series at Netflix. The 20-episode series is being described as a workplace comedy set in the shadow government where every conspiracy theory from the Illuminati to reptoids is true and one, and one woman struggles to keep the chaos under wraps. Um, Gravity Falls creator Alex Hirsch, who also has a lucrative deal with the streaming giant, is the co-executive producer. So it's basically the creator and showrunner from Gravity Falls who are being given this adult animated series about conspiracy theories and whatnot in the U.S. government. Uh, I I think that just all sounds great, don't you? It sounds amazing. I was a... uh, I was a Gravity Falls fanatic. It, you know what's weird? As I started watching it because it came up on my daughter's Hulu uh, profile, and I was like, "Oh, this looks cute." And I started watching it, and then, man, it hooked me hard. <laughs> I, I had to watch the entire show, and it was really good. So, anything from the people who made that, I am giving it a full chance. I mean, that's gonna be awesome. And the, yep. the concept sounds really good too. I like. Uh, I like shows that have like a basic run of the mill everyday setting like oh it's in the workplace. Right. And then something is just crazy off the off the hook. Uh like when we originally heard the plan for Powerless when it was right. an insurance company insuring people in a world with superheroes. I love the humdrum with the craziness dashed exactly and then they got too concerned about it made too many tweaks to the damn show and Uh it just turned out to be a failure um 
yeah, that I, I completely agree with you on that. So I, I think as long as this sticks with what it's supposed to be, uh, it sounds like it could be uh, very entertaining. Hell yeah. All right. Moving on from Netflix. How about a little bit of CBS and CBS? I tell you what, man, they have gone all in with Star Trek recently. I will have to give them credit. I mean, they are uh, like definitely trying to build this brand and, you know, build this franchise out and, and, um, you know, create their own extended universe, which, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll admit it's never going to be, you know, as huge or successful, probably commercially, you know what I mean? As like star Wars. And there's always that star Wars versus star Trek battle and everything. Um, but, uh, I, I do, I am impressed with, with what they have been doing here. And uh, CBS Studios and Nickelodeon have gotten together to greenlight a new Star Trek animated series uh, that will be geared towards children. So, again, you know, that's something that Star Wars has done well since the beginning of time. You know, Star Wars was created to market toys to, to children, you know. Uh, Star Trek did a very poor job of that. If you ever get on Netflix and watch the uh, uh, the documentary series, The Toys That Made Us. Uh, they do both an episode on Star Wars toys and Star Trek toys. And uh, and Star Trek has a much more miserable um, history when it comes to toy making and things like that. And in my opinion, just reaching out to children in general. So uh, this is kind of neat that Nickelodeon's given a green light to an animated Star Trek series from Emmy winning writers, Kevin and Dan Hageman. Uh, they're the guys behind troll hunters and Ninjago uh, CBS TV studios and Alex Kurtzman's studio based secret hideout uh, are behind the new animated series. So this is going to be, uh, uh, I believe they call it a, a tentpole series series for Nickelodeon and it will let's see uh, where is the description of exactly what it is here we go uh, major tentpole series do you see where in the article they give the actual it's just like two lines about what it's going to be about I can't even find find the actual description. It follows a group of lawless teens who discover a derelict Starfleet ship and use it to search for adventure, meaning, and salvation. Where is that even at? Right under um, the ad under the first byline. Pinned by the... Oh, there it is. Gotcha. Jesus, that was impossible to find. So, I mean, the concept behind the show sounds entertaining enough. It sounds like something that would appeal towards children. You know, it's not... It's clearly a Star Trek series, but it's not going to take place, you know, like on a Star Trek ship where everybody is, you know, an adult in the military or whatever. This is about a group of teens who find a derelict Starfleet ship and, you know, as they say, use it f- to search for adventure. So, uh, it, you know, what do you think? I think that's a I think that's an interesting concept, an interesting way to bring Star Trek to the to the kids. It is an interesting concept and an interesting way to bring Star Trek to the kids. I am worried that if I were to watch it, I would be rolling my eyes the entire time because, yeah, it's. I mean, is this this going to be Dawson's Creek in space? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I would be afraid that it's they're going to take it so much. 
outside of what we know as Star Trek that, you know, as the adults uh, who grew up with this, we might look at it. And like you said, we might be rolling our eyes. I don't know. And I mean, let's uh, let's all be honest. If uh, if we were teenage, if we were teenagers in the world of Star Trek, I mean, instead of having all this drama, wouldn't we just spend most of our time in the holodeck? Right. <laughs> just saying. So, uh, yeah, I mean, as I said before, this show is uh, part of a growing um, litany of shows that CBS has, is putting out. So this is for Nickelodeon, and it joins Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Short Treks, which is a series of short stories tied to Discovery, along with Picard, which is the working title for Patrick Stewart's television series, and then the one that you and I are mostly looking forward to, the animated series Lower Decks from Mike McMahon uh, from Rick and Morty, which is the uh, Star Trek mature adult, uh, mature audience you know, animated series about the, the grunts aboard the starships that do all of the, you know, handyman work and everything like that. Um, these are all in development for production at CBS All Access. So uh, this one should be a series for Nickelodeon, uh, which is nice that it's not going to be yet another show that we'd have to pay to, you know, to get access to. But, um, you know, as you said, it's probably not something that's really going to appeal to you or I, but, you know, maybe more towards the, the kiddos. Sure, I'll give it to them. I'll allow it. This next one I am actually interested in. All right. I'll put this in here. Yes, we've got some seven. The next one is about Disney Plus. In fact, the next two stories or uh, three links, if you will, in the show notes are all going to be about Disney Plus. And uh, the first one we've got here, if I put them in order, will just be the announcement of Disney Plus uh, debut date and the cost. So uh, Disney had an investors meeting, I believe, recently, and they made the announcement that the streaming service will debut uh, on November 12th and will cost $6.99 a month or $69.99 per year. So let's just pause right there and you tell me, like, what do you think right off the bat with the cost of this? Um. Well, I think uh, if you can pay for a year, definitely do that. Uh, uh, I mean, do I don't d- d- so sixty nine ninety nine a year. Yeah, it's a sixty nine ninety nine a year or six ninety nine a month. Uh, I think the six ninety nine a month is a is a pretty good price. It is. Uh, um, that's uh, that's year, comparable to Hulu, I believe, right? Uh, ish. The year takes it down to five eighty three a month. Okay. Uh, so it is a decent discount if you buy the whole year at a time. Uh, Seven dollars a month is not bad. I think that's about two dollars more than Hulu. Uh, but you do get basically the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so that's a thing. Uh, you know, Star Wars, uh, Pixar. Um, there's anybody. Basically, I'll I'll put it as anybody who is a fanatic for Star Wars or Marvel. Um, who loves Disney movies or has children, really. Uh, if you have children that watch Disney, this is going to be fan-freaking-tastic. Okay, so Hulu starts at five ninety nine a month. So we're only talking a dollar more. 
than their base offer. Now, here's another thing. I believe. Um, let me uh, do a real quick search here. Mm-hmm. But I believe there are actually talks to sell. Yeah. Okay. So Comcast is in talks right now from this from CNBC uh, to sell its thirty percent stake in Hulu to Disney. Really? Yeah. Yeah. According to CNBC here. Well, that uh, would well, essentially make Hulu, fortune. <laughs> I mean, that would essentially make Disney full owner of Hulu. Then they already own a sixty percent stake in it, don't they? Because they had their own stake, and then when they purchased Fox, they obtained theirs. And I believe after that merger was finalized, they became like 60% shareholder of the company to begin with. Um, uh, so, so Yeah, so Disney, Walt Disney Company, uh, through the acquisition of 21st Century Fox, Disney acquired Fox partial ownership, giving it a 60% stake uh, as of March 20th, 2019. Right. Uh, and then, yeah. So, so they get another thirty. That would give them ninety. Who is the poor lone shareholder <laughs> left? That's not Disney. Yeah, I don't know. But well, you would assume that's probably it's uh, probably individual stockholders or either. Or I, yeah. I mean, I because it all began with Hulu. All began with the network. So there may just be like one network left, like you know, like CBS or somebody who still has a little bit of programming left on it or something. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows. So um, that's an interesting little tidbit to add to this is that, you know, what would Disney do if they ended up, I mean, if they've got both of them, I mean, other than keep one for the adult content and one for the Disney content, you know what I mean? Like, I think, they've always- <clears throat> I think that would be um, the majority of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you got to figure that uh, Disney is, they've already said that like, you're not going to get things like Deadpool on right. Disney Plus. Right. So there's got to be somewhere for that to go. And, and they were already hinting that it would most likely end up on Hulu because that's where they had their share. I guess that's a yeah, I guess maybe now that I guess whoever was who's the company that's selling negotiating this is it you said it was a Com- Comcast. Well, Comcast is the one that's going to be selling the share the 30% share. And and does Comcast own NBC? Uh, I believe so. I think so. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Universal is owned, is a wholly owned subsidiary of Comcast. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah, like I said, like I said, I thought it was the networks. Um, and ABC, you know, that was, that's already Disney owned. So I wonder if CBS, uh, which I think is owned by Viacom or you know part of Viacom I wonder if they're the ones that still have maybe a stake in in the company yeah. outside um, what I want to see though if this deal goes through Disney I want to see the family plan which is like $10 a month for Hulu and Disney and, Plus right exactly that would be exactly. perfect yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I completely agree. Uh, especially being someone who already subscribes to Hulu, you know, I would probably, uh, jump on getting 
both, especially after a little bit more of what we're going to talk about here. So um, in regards to the Disney Plus streaming service, uh, they did also at this meeting um, give a a first look at the app and interface. Supposedly it's similar to Netflix. You're greeted by rows of recommended content, new TV series or movies added to the platform and genres. Unlike Netflix, there are five hubs that sit at the top of the page, which will bring users to designated areas for Disney's various franchises, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, National Geographic. That's kind of cool, too. I, I like that. It's a good idea, you know. Um, it says Disney Plus will be available to stream through smart TVs, web browsers, on tablets, mobile devices, game consoles, so everything you would expect. Uh, Individual profiles, parental controls, uh, all Disney Plus content will be available for offline download. That's probably a pretty big deal, isn't it? That's not something that many streaming services offer, is it? Um, Netflix does on a few things, but not everything. So the fact that they would allow... And that is is a very... (laughs) Um, underappreciated uh, feature because, uh, for instance, my daughter has an iPad Mini that doesn't have a cellular radio. So if I could download videos for her to watch on the road during right. big trips, that that's I mean that's not insignificant. Yeah, no, and and for a company like Disney who is very very um, I don't know copyright protective. Is it, I guess we could say uh, for them to just declare all content will be available for offline download. You know, that's I just find that to be pretty impressive um, as a selling point for the service. Uh, they're also promising 4K HDR presentation where applicable on TVs. OK, here you go. The very last line links to another article where um, Disney's uh, direct consumer division chairman, Kevin Mayer, uh, says that Disney will likely bundle at a discounted price for to offer more value for consumers, and he's talking about bundling ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, and Hulu. Right. Oh yeah. So that is perfect. Yeah. Now that's you awesome. just got to make it under that ten dollar a month price point for at least um, Hulu and Disney Plus. Right. Uh, you can charge a little bit more for ESPN Plus if you need to. I know, I know sports is a messy, messy licensing hellhole, but at least those two need to come in under $10 a month. And then there are a lot of people, honestly, I think would do okay with just that and Netflix. And that's about all you would probably need. Because Hulu has got a crap load of stuff on it. Right. And then you got Disney for the kids, which is one of the only reasons I have any streaming services anymore. And then, you know, Netflix, just because Netflix is Netflix and you're not really an American unless you have a Netflix subscription, apparently. (laughs) Well, and I just like the idea of, you know, because like Hulu has a lot of stuff on it available already. Yes. But the fact that Fox is now owned by Disney and they have access to that entire library, uh, especially if that's where they're going to house like the more adult themed content. Um, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a really good idea. You know, I would definitely be open to the, to the subscription service to, to both of them. Cause obviously I would, I would really love to have access to the, to the Marvel universe and, and the star Wars universe. Um, 
So, and then then what we're going to discuss right here, the next story we've got is, in addition, as we've previously discussed, that Disney had already announced live action series uh, for Loki and Hawkeye on their streaming service. Uh, At this meeting, they also announced two more Marvel Cinematic Universe characters that are going to be getting their own series. And that will be um, one series called WandaVision. And another called Falcon and Winter Soldier. They don't have a release date at this time, but as you can imagine, these series are both based off of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and then of course the Scarlet Witch. And uh, so, well, the Scarlet Witch and Vision. I guess it's going to be more along the lines of their story, you know, which they've kind of uh, uh, touched on in the in the movies. I just had this uh, this brain fart of like her. Being at like the typical '90s sitcom of like Friends, and her being at home sitting at the table drinking coffee, and he comes home from work and starts complaining. <laughs> so what I, what I kind of find impressive is that these series are all you know, it's all the actors from the movies that are reprising their roles for these streaming series. So you know, Jeremy Renner. Um, and Tom Hiddleston are reprising their roles as Hawkeye and Loki. So I can only imagine that, you know, Elizabeth Olsen and um, Anthony Mackie will be reprising their roles as. Um, oh, uh, uh, Falcon and Scarlet Witch. Um it's it's kind of impressive how they're just building this universe, whether it's the cinematic universe or bringing cinematic people to the streaming television series or, you know, it's, 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 it's cool. I like it. So. Hmm. Yeah, we'll give it a shot. All right. And the final story I've got for you, yet another Disney plus story. And I think this one's kind of a big one. Uh, one more thing. Come on, man. Why you gotta be a hater? <laughs> Uh, one more thing that they announced at this meeting recently was that the Simpsons will be streaming in totality on the new Disney Plus service. So um, The Simpsons is one of those series that's, that's still to this day not very easily available uh, to view. Uh, there's It's on Hulu right now, but I don't think all like 30 seasons are on Hulu. I'd have to go double check. Um, but it originally began, The Simpsons originally began as being available only to FX, you know, customers, um, you know, through your cable provider. Um, but Disney Plus will be taking on The Simpsons and they will uh, be available to stream all uh, 30 seasons uh, of the show uh, as of the launch on November 12th. So I, I'm, I'm happy about that. I mean, I know you're a hater and, you know, I guess either never cared about The Simpsons or haven't watched it since, you know, the early 90s. But it's still a good show and, um, you know, it deserves credit where credit's due, man. I'll let you have your little TV show, Sean. My little TV show, the longest, like the longest running scripted television series in the history of American television. My little TV show. Your little TV show. I'll let you have it. <laughs> All right. I I did notice when I saw the Disney Plus um, uh, announcement that 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 was part of it, and I'm like, well, Sean's gonna only talk about that. Now, let me ask you, because, you know, at times the Simpsons can or has crossed lines. You know what I mean? Like, um, 
is is Disney really the right place for the Simpsons? You know, if they're trying to split out adult oriented content onto another streaming service, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, you got to figure that. Have we gotten to the day and age where, you know, even the stuff that even the lines that the Simpsons cross are 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 so. I don't know, banal that uh, that that it is still Disney appropriate. Am I just uh, am I just overestimating like how how they were controversial when we were kids? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the standards have just changed at this point, you know, because you got to figure that now Marvel movies are considered some of them are considered kids movies and yet they fight constantly. And, you know, yeah, that's a good violence. point. We used to be right. like a, a buzzword, so. You know, as long right. as it's not Deadpool shish kebabbing people with swords, I think they're probably okay. So. All right. All right. Tech news. All right. So, uh, Facebook is sorry. We'll just preface this with that. They're sorry. For what this time? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Facebook harvested the email contacts of 1.5 million users without their knowledge or consent. Sweet. When they open their accounts and may have uploaded or may have, uh, you know, kept that information just because. You know, so you sign up for a Facebook account. And suddenly, every email contact you have now goes to Facebook. And that was uh, so since uh, May 2016, by the way. So we're looking at a long, you know, a, a long time. <laughs> uh, and they're saying they uninten- unintentionally did this and that they will be deleting it. Um, do we believe that they're deleting it? I mean, they've already gotten use out of it at this point, right? Sure. Uh, I, I mean, how many times does Facebook have to do something like this before people start to realize it's probably not actually accidental? You know, I mean, I this just doesn't seem like something that would be like a whoops, we didn't know we were doing that kind of a thing. More of a Oh, hey, that's doing that. Well, maybe we'll just do it till they find out. You know? Uh, so, yeah, just know once you install that big blue F on your phone or device, the majority <laughs> of your shite is, uh, it belongs to them now. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh,. All right. Let's see here. Uh, this was a kind of an interesting story. So a teenager uh, was arrested. Basically, it's kind of it's it's a weird series of events. So there was a uh, there was some thefts at Apple stores. Okay, and then um, so. The NYPD officers uh, arrested this teenager. This was on November 29th. Uh, he was, and he was falsely linked to these Apple Store thefts in uh, Boston, New Jersey, Delaware, and Manhattan. Uh, 
Um, apparently, according to the story, the real perpetrator had stolen his ID that had his name, address, and other information on it, but no picture. So the lawsuit, he's suing Apple for $1 billion. <laughs> I mean, go big or go home. Claiming that facial recognition led to his false arrest. Um, so he is basically saying that, let's see here. Uh, the Since the ID didn't have a photo, the lawsuit claims Apple programmed its store's facial recognition system to associate the real thief's face with this young person's details. However, an Apple spokesperson told in Gadget, which is where this article is from, that the company does not use facial recognition in its stores. Do we believe that? I mean... I don't know. A Nest camera can do facial recognition. I, you'd think Apple's um, surveillance in their stores would probably be able to do that. I mean, maybe not, but it... But are they using the surveillance in their stores to fill in gaps in their customer profiles? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, if, if, he doesn't, if he doesn't have a photo uploaded, are they, like, stealing a photo of him when he comes in and makes a purchase in order to fill out that customer profile? I mean, that's a much larger accusation. Well, and it's not so much that as, you know, if you, uh, if you have high enough quality cameras, you can, in software, tag someone's face, and then every time... The cameras detect what they think is that face. They'll, you know, plop up an alarm or whatever. As be on the lookout type, you know, BOGO um, type stuff. But I mean, and that that technology is not it's not that advanced, really. It's it's out there. It's in common use in a lot of places. Um, so I, I it wouldn't be with the, uh, it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility for Apple to do something like that. Uh, so. They uh, they went back through the footage and realized that this uh, this youngin didn't actually look anything like the thief. <laughs> uh, and further, he was attending his senior prom in Manhattan uh, when the Boston theft, uh, about $1,200 worth of um, stuff was stolen, which means basically like one iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I don't know. It's it's a it's a really interesting question. Um, Apple says they don't use it in their stores, but I mean, if he was arrested in, there's know, a lot of details here that yeah, we need like before we could make an assumption on this kid, right? Like what 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 details led to his arrest? Like there's just a lot yeah. of unanswered questions here. What even has led him to the assumption that they are using this kind of technology? You know, there's a lot that needs to well, be answered here. I mean, now that one that one's kind of sort of answered by the fact that the thief was using an ID that had every bit of information about this young man except for his picture, right? So how did Apple know he was him without a picture, you know? But I, it's really weird. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting question, though. If I mean, if Apple w might not be telling the whole truth, or, you know, is this just a case of things lining up the way people want them to line up and jumping to conclusions? I, I don't know. But... Now, see, I would think Apple would have facial recognition in their stores. That was my knee-jerk reaction. Is, oh, well, of course they do. 
because they're a tech company and this is not that high tech. Um, like I said, you can buy a Nest Cam to put on your front door that does that. Right. So it's not like, you know, $70 billion in the bank Apple wouldn't be able to throw that together real quick in all their Apple stores. But who knows? All right, so we talked about the Galaxy Fold a while back. Um, oh, this is uh, this picture of the Galaxy Fold with a hot dog in between it is pretty good. I like yeah. that. Good stuff. Uh, Wall Street Journal. Um, now I linked this. I linked this to the Wall Street Journal, but of course they got their paywall thing happening. So basically, um, what what has happened is. The Galaxy Folds, this is the folding display phone from Samsung, uh, was released to reviewers and influencers uh, to try and test it out and see how things go. And a lot of them, a few of them said that it was fantastic, it was really cool. Uh, however, a lot of them, including some very prominent ones, uh, had problems uh, pretty pretty much right away. Um, like uh, delamination of the screen... Um, noticeable bumps in the ridge uh, where the phone actually folds the display. Uh, so you know it it didn't it didn't go well. <laughs> uh, I fix it did a teardown and said that the phone was uh, I forget exactly how they put it, but it's uh, extremely fragile. Basically, uh, anytime you put a hinge in a phone this big, I mean it's going to be fragile. Um, where uh, I forget, were you interested in the Galaxy Fold? I know it was way too expensive. Oh, this doesn't interest me at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this seems like a completely superfluous device. This this is just ridiculous. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Okay. I uh, I don't disagree. Um. Uh, so. I mean, it like like when we we have discussed before how i feel that like you know the phone to the tablet to the laptop is all like one long evolutionary line and that we're just like slowly filling in the gaps of and that eventually you can just walk in and say like i want a screen of this size and i want it to be able to make phone calls and i want it to make you know to do this and then and they'll go oh you want this one right here then in the line you know nowhere in that evolutionary line do any of these things need to fold like there's no point in it you know what i mean like i just don't see it's just stupid <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um so yeah, you got a you got a crease in the middle of the screen. Um things poking up from the crease that were causing damage to the uh, actual screen itself, the LCD. Well, I don't remember exactly what screen technology they're using, but it I don't I think it's OLED or something. But uh you know, so lots of lots of screen problems on a phone whose whose screen <laughs> folds in half. Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> uh, but ga Samsung has delayed uh, the release of the Galaxy Fold. They don't have an actual date as to when it will be released as of right now. Although AT&T seems to have a release date, which is stupid. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is not a surprise. You know? I mean, it is the first folding phone ever, and... I'm kind of with Sean. I understand the draw of having a phone that can turn into a tablet, but I don't know. I don't. 
I don't think this is it. I think we are a ways off from that simply by the fact that I don't think trading a, you know, basically doubling the thickness of your phone in order to flop it out into a tablet is worth it. I think it's easier just to have a tablet, you know, and I've, I've always been kind of a proponent of, you know, I have a phone and then I'll have, back in the day anyway, especially, I would have a phone and I would have an e-reader and I would have a tablet and I would have a uh, MP3 player, you know, my iPod. But it was because if one of those things died, I didn't want to lose everything. And to this day, I mean, granted, my phone has good enough battery life that I use it as an MP3 player now. Um, but I still have a tablet and I don't read ebooks on my tablet. I read them on my ebook reader because as I said, I don't want to kill my tablet reading and then need it for something else. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't think, I don't think this kind of a thing is necessary, but it's interesting to see it. And obviously being one of the first folding phones out there, it was going to have problems. So surprise. We'll be interesting to see how they fix the problems, though. All right. Uh, we talked about <coughs> Verizon throttling uh, firefighters in California. Yes, I believe so. So California has tried, uh, is going to be trying to pass a bill that will prohibit. Uh, it's you know they want it to be a state law that will prohibit. Uh, the throttling of fire departments and other public safety agencies during emergencies. Sounds good, right? Sounds like a good idea. During emergencies. Why not? Honestly, I say if you're a firefighter, you, just you get... Stop throttling them anytime. Exactly. I say if you are public service <clears throat> or, or public safety or you know anything like that, um, if you... I think you make like a phone call at, to Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile or Sprint or any of them... You say, this is my job. They say, okay, you're not throttled anymore. Ah! I mean, you know, doesn't seem like it'd be that big of a deal. But, uh, so, California's trying to pass a law says, no, you can't do that no more. And, obviously, all kinds of lobbyists are trying to get this thing destroyed. Uh, and uh, neutered in every way they can. Now... The one big thing that they are bringing up, so um, it's very lawyer speak in this entire article, and I apologize for that, but Ars Technica tries to be very, um, uh, you know, very proper with the language and the, the, the quoting and everything like that. So um, basically, a couple of the big things that they don't like, that the... the um, Trying to see what this acronym stood for. I looked it up earlier. Um, it's the uh, CTIA. Uh, man, I forget. Um, but the let me do a Google search real quick here. CTIT, CTIT. Uh, wow, you uh, you let me down there, Wikipedia. <laughs> I can only find their acronym. Really? Really? About. Here we go. Nope. Still not there either. Their own website doesn't really say who what their acronym stands for. All right. Anyway. Uh, so. 
they uh like one of the big things that they don't like is the fact that it is up to the carrier in this in this law anyway it is up to the carriers to check in proactively uh and see when a uh, emergency is going on that i understand it's extra burden on the carriers we wouldn't want to burden the carriers you know they're not making that much money obviously uh so i understand the fact that they want the local governments to contact them when there's an emergency situation okay uh they are also saying that they don't want it to be um so many levels down in government they they don't mind uh if it passes with federal uh states of emergency and state states of emergency uh but they don't want it to go any farther than that such as um counties and towns and stuff like that i i don't agree with that one completely um cuz like i said i think they should be unthrottled anyway regardless so i think you can just deal with it <laughs> uh and then they also don't like um the bill's phrasing of to not impair or degrade. They say it's ambiguous and will uh, result in serious unintended consequences, including needless litigation. Well, if you don't impair or degrade, it's not going to lead to litigation. I'm just saying, uh, don't freaking do it, and it's not going to cause you any problems. Uh, it says data prioritization for first responders is already provided by major mobile wireless providers. And wireless carriers need the flexibility to manage their network traffic for optimum performance, especially during disasters. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think... I Like I said, I think they should just be unthrottled. But I think everybody should be unthrottled, honestly. I mean, I think data caps and throttling are uh, arbitrary and artificial... Um, shortages put on something just to make the price go up but uh so what are uh, what are your thoughts overall on this and now that i've given you a few minutes to read uh i'm i'm with you i guess i mean i don't see a big deal i think these guys are always being a little bitch about this kind of stuff <laughs> i mean it, it's fucking firefighters that are fighting wildfires and things like that and you're wanting to throttle their data like i mean it just seems stupid that we're even arguing about it to me yeah i agree and like you, I'm with you. Like I feel like you forget the emergency thing. Like if that's what, oh, you don't want it to go all the way down to the local level. You want them to con. Well, just screw it then. Forget the emergency aspect of it at all. You just can't throttle these people. Like there need you need to set up a special plan for the government. You know, for the like you said, the public safety people. Like if you have a phone through your uh, um, the fire department through the police department, uh, then they should all be on a special plan that there's just no throttling. You know, uh, they already have unlimited. Data. Data and and now you just don't throttle it you know it, it's it should be that simple i don't understand why it's not i agree um the last thing the ctia objected to is the bill's <laughs> provisions being implemented in the state's public utilities code um the group said that the office of emergency services is the appropriate entity to deal with the issues re related to emergencies uh, the Public Utilities Code gives enforcement power to the California Public Utilities Commission, which can issue fines for, quote, consumer fraud, marketing abuse, and other utility misconduct. 
Now the uh, CTIA, um, let's see the 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 EFF's Legislative Council, that's the Electronic Frontier <laughs> Foundation, um, says here that the e, the CTIA is trying to water down the definition and have it tucked away into an agency that can't really enforce it. That doesn't sound wrong. <laughs> Uh, it sounds like right. this is. I mean, you got emergency office of emergency services. Sure, the emergency is in the name, but it sounds to me like the public utilities uh, commission would be the one that would be able to actually bring the hammer down. And there, if that's the case, they're the ones that need to handle this. Uh, which would be why the CTIA is trying to make it to where they're not the ones handling it. Uh, very, very, very shifty. Very shifty. It's oi. Puts a bad taste in your mouth, you know? All right. Um, so that's all I got <laughs> for tech. It was uh it wasn't a crazy wasn't a crazy tech week. And now time for movie news. <laughs> uh so uh, I am a giant James Bond fan. Uh I own multiple copies of all the movies. Um f- James Bond fanatic, for sure. Not gonna even Men's words. Uh, so I was super excited when the at 007 Twitter account started tweeting out um, reveals about Bond movie number 25. Uh, we don't have a title yet. They don't really have much in way of details, but they have started uh, telling us who's going to be in it. Uh, so uh, Ray Fines, I said it right that time. Thank you. Yep. Um, is going to be M. Uh, he's been M in the uh, Daniel Craig, you know, the most recent Daniel Craig uh, James Bonds. Um, Rory Kinnear is going to be Tanner. Um, let's see here. Ben Wishaw is coming back as Q. I think he's a really good Q. I like him as Q. Um, Naomi Harris will be Money Penny. Uh, I think she was really good in it as well. Uh, oh, Leah Sedu, I guess. I don't know how you say that. Uh, Dr. Madeline Swan. Jeffrey Wright is, uh, going to be, um, Felix Leiter, which I think Jeffrey Wright is a good Felix Leiter. I like him as a CIA agent. He's cool. Uh, let's see here. And then we've got some that we don't get, uh, we don't get characters with. So, Billy Magnuson is one. I guess that's how you say his name, I hope. Magnuson? I don't know. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Dali Bensala, I guess. I hope. Uh, Anna Diarmas. David Denchik. Dinkik. <laughs> I don't know. I don't do names very well. I don't even know why you're even bothering. This is this is a new one. Well, because I'm trying to get to the last one. The last one's very interesting to me. Lasana Lynch got that one, and my boy Rami Malek. Uh, now the thing is, uh, this is the interesting part. Rami Malek uh, has a video that got tweeted out saying that he's going to be he'll be making sure Bond won't get an easy ride in this movie. So it sounds to me like Rami He's Malek the is the bad guy, which is yeah. going to be awesome. I love Rami Malek. I want to see him. I mean, all the things I've seen him in, he's been the protagonist for the most part. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. 
Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything where he's been the bad guy. Well, he's, I mean, I guess he's the protagonist, but he's definitely, you know, messed up in Mr. Robot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's technically still the protagonist, though. He is also kind of a terrorist at the same time, yeah. you know? Yeah, I guess so. Lesser of two evils, though. Sure. Uh, but I want to see him as just a Bond. A Bond villain would be cool. Uh, I did see a really interesting meme the other day that said... Uh, Rami Malek is in Bond 25. I bet I know who he's playing. And it's got a picture of Rami Malek as uh, Freddie Mercury and a picture of the James Bond villain Jaws. <laughs> that was kind of clever. Uh, big teeth and all. But I doubt that's it. <laughs> that would be a little bit too on the nose, I think. Um, I am very interested to see who he plays. So. And then after, after Daniel Craig, man, let's get some Idris Elba in there for James Bond. I think he'd be a kick-ass James Bond, man. So, yeah. Uh, no details as of yet. Slated for a 2020 release. Um, we'll see what happens. For all you James Bond fans out there. Was that? Alright. As uh, we'll talk later in the What the Hell Are You Up To... I kind of got interested in some flat earther type stuff. Um, not believing any of it, just interested in what they're doing. So this uh, this comes from a March 22nd article on Live Science. Uh, they have a little strange news section I like to dip into every once in a while. And uh, in 2020, the Flat Earth International Conference, the FEIC, sounds very... very posh, uh, announced on its website that it will be trying to take a cruise to the ice wall. Yeah, that's the the giant wall of ice we think of as Antarctica that actually just holds in all the oceans of the world. Right, from from spilling out into space. Yeah, yeah, from like the... uh, Mm. from like the krakens and the, the dragons and crap that are hanging out on the... The, edge of the, the giant, there. the giant turtle that the Earth rides on the back of. Yes, yes, and Cthulhu and all that. That's good stuff. Um, so, <laughs> this be very interesting. So, uh, in the article here, they do point out little fun facts about, like, the fact that uh, the cruise ship's going to be using GPS that is designed to work only if the Earth was a globe, <laughs> simply just by the, uh, you know. The fact that GPS satellites are the way they are. Right. Um, Yeah, here we go. So, uh, there's just one catch. Navigational charts and systems that guide cruise ships and other vessels around Earth oceans are all based on the principle of around Earth. Uh, This comes from Hank Kanger. (laughs) Very, uh, Very Easter there. Uh, a former cruise ship captain with 23 years of experience. I mean, 23 years. He might know what he's talking about. Maybe. Just a little. Um, so, yeah. It, it, I'm I'm all for it, man. Do it. Please do it. Uh, anytime any flat earther comes up with an experiment to try to prove their theory, do it. Give them what... I mean, honestly, give them the funding. And have them go do it. I I see no problem with it. Because, I mean, 
and I, well, like I said, we'll talk about this in the what the hell are you up to part because I do have part of mine that's devoted to this kind of stuff. But if someone thinks differently than you, yeah, even if even if they're probably wrong, <laughs> you know, they think differently. You don't cu- don't shut them out completely. Don't tell them you know you're wrong, you're stupid, move on. Just say you know you're probably wrong. But if you've got an experiment, why don't we do it? You know, I mean, if you got an if you got an experiment that you think will prove your hypothesis, I mean, people make crazy hypotheses all the time, and they get funding to test them. Just let them test them, because honestly, most of the experiments you can do to test whether the Earth is a globe or flat are not that expensive and not that complicated. I mean, load a bunch of them up on a boat and send them to Antarctica. You know, it's not. Now, whether they'll believe the experiment or not, that's completely different, and that's not our problem. But, you know, maybe just give them the funding to go prove themselves wrong. I thought I thought it was funny that they're, like, um, you got the guy who tried to launch himself up in a rocket that we talked about a while back. Um, <laughs> just, just a nice rocket launch in his back frickin' yard. <laughs> like, I don't understand why it's not as easy as, like... So if if the earth is flat and it's not round, then at some point, depending on how you're looking, you know, like if you were looking down upon it as if it were a two-dimensional map, you know what I mean? Like two of the hemispheres are going to be split somewhere, okay? Say in between Japan and the United States, you know what I mean? Japan's going to be on the right side of the map and the United States is going to be on the left side of the map. So why can't you just put them in an airplane in Japan and have them fly east and show up in California? Like that alone shows them that the world isn't flat as they imagine it. You know what I mean? See, if you have them fly east, east is a uh, artificial construct of NASA. (laughs) because you're not actually going east uh, because you're actually going in a circle uh, around the flat earth in order to you know because the airlines are in on it you know but you can look out the window (laughs) all right never mind just stop (laughs) oh man you see that's the that is the problem uh that is the issue is that there is when it comes to conspiracy theories in general, that is always why they are conspiracy theories, because no matter what proof you have that they are false, a conspiracy theorist will only need one iota of conspiracy to make it not false. You know, that's why they're it's so hard to reason with some people. All right, <laughs> I love it, and you, you, you hate them so much. <laughs> ah, so much, so much. Oh man, it's good stuff. All right, let's see here. Next, flicks. We are going to be covering movie releases from the twenty ninth to about the tenth. So. Uh, nothing's coming out for the rest of this month, considering there's only a day left of it. So, this one, May 3rd. 
Oh, this looked this looks super creepy. <clears throat> the Intruder. Uh, Dennis Quaid, Megan Good, Michael Ely. Uh, when a young married couple buys their dream house in the Napa Valley, they think they have found the perfect home to take their next steps as a family. But when the strangely attached seller, Dennis Quaid, continues to infiltrate their lives, they begin to suspect that he has hidden motivations beyond a quick sale. Yeah. He just, Dennis Quaid just looks so creepy in this movie. <laughs> it didn't sound bad enough to, to make me next it or anything, but, uh, you know, it kind of sounds like a standard, yeah. you know. There's somebody in the house kind of a movie. Right, right. Cape Fear or, you know, any typical, you know, take the family hostage kind of movie. Okay. <clears throat> Long shot. Charlize Theron, Seth Rogen, Alexander Skarsgård, uh, Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Fred Flarsky <laughs> is a gifted and free-spirited journalist with an affinity for trouble. Charlotte Field is one of the most influential women in the world. Smart, sophisticated, and accomplished, she's a powerhouse diplomat with a talent for, well, mostly everything. The two have nothing in common except that she was his babysitter and childhood crush. Next. There's too much exposition it in takes, this. This is so much bullshit. Longer. That's stupid. Yeah, it's much longer than that. I've already lost interest in what your movie's about. Yeah, come on, Seth Rogen. Uh, okay, let's see here. That's what these things are. Shit. All right. Uh, ugly dolls. <laughs> uh, Pitbull is a voice. This is uh, animated. Kelly Clarkson, Nick Jonas, Gabriel Inglacius, Wanda Sykes, Wang Liham. <laughs> In the adorably different town of Uglyville, where it is celebrated, strange is special, and beauty is embraced as more than simply meets the eye. Here, the free-spirited Moxie and her ugly doll friends live every day in a whirlwind of bliss, letting their freak flags fly in a celebration of life. Next, I don't care anymore. Ah, I've seen these stupid dolls in toy stores recently. It's just ugly dolls, ugly dolls, ugly dolls. And I'm like, holy crap, what are these things? Finally, I know. Nah. Damn. Never heard of it. Yeah, it didn't look good. Uh, let's see here. Limited, a whole bunch of limiteds. Make sure there's nothing. Nope, nothing too good. Okay. So now we will go to the third. Uh, looks like May 10th is our next one. So let's see here. Oh, okay. Uh, the hustle. Rebel Wilson, Anne Hathaway, Bruno Sevilla, Alex Sharp. Oh, here we go. Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson stars female scam artists, one uh, one low rent and the other high class. Who t I bet you can tell which is which. Who yeah. team up to take down the dirty, rotten men who have wronged them? Sounds like it could be funny. Yeah. yeah. That's like I said. The, you can tell which one's supposed to be which. Unfortunately. <laughs> Oh man, I like Rebel Wilson. She, yeah, she's funny. She's hilarious. All right. Oh boy, here it is. Shit's about to go down. 
Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Ugh, it looks so bad. <laughs> really? I heard that like reviews are actually really good. Uh, uh, yeah, it just does not look like anything I would care about. Ryan Reynolds, obviously. Bill Nye, Justice Smith, Suki Waterhouse. Oh, no. Detective Pikachu, why? The first ever live-action Pokemon adventure, Detective Pikachu, stars Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu, the iconic face of the global Pokemon phenomenon. One of the world's most popular multi-generation... Thank you, God. It's three paragraphs long. (laughs) Why? They don't even get to the story until halfway through the third paragraph. Yeah. I mean, it it just looks like an odd way to cram Pokemon into a live action movie. I don't even understand it. It just looks weird. And and like the addition of Ryan Reynolds doing the voice just seems like trying to capitalize on his popularity. Uh, I don't know. Weird. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tolkien. Uh, Nicholas Holt, Lily Collins, Craig Roberts. Explores the formative years of the orphaned author as he finds friendship, love, and artistic inspiration among a group of fellow outcasts at school. This takes him on into the outbreak of World War One. Which next, yeah. boring. Yeah, I mean, unless you're a Tolkien, you know, unless you just really fiend for the Tolkien, the guy, as opposed to you know the Lord of the Rings. Nah. It's a, you know, it's a biopic. It's one of those things where, like, I wouldn't mind watching an, uh, a documentary on the History Channel about him, but you know, for an hour. But I'm not going to sit down and watch an hour and a half long. It's just not that interesting. Dramatization of his life. I don't care that much. Yeah. All right, that's it. That's all we got right there. Done. Um, Sean, the hell are you up to? All right, well, let's see. Most recently, I just started, and I'm about halfway through uh, with Villain's Deception, the third book in the Shadow Master series. So if you haven't picked this one up yet, you listen to the first two, right? Are you shitting me right now? Yeah, I was going to say, this is one of the few that I know you I know you listened to, didn't you? third fucking book came out, and I didn't know it. Yes, so it is called a Villain's Deception. And uh, and you're going to love it because this book takes place in the sci-fi genre universe. So he just, man, <laughs> he really trashes Star Wars a lot. <laughs> but there have been, uh, you know, multiple references to Star Wars, Star Trek, Firefly, um, you know, all, all kinds of science fiction tropes. And uh, the, as you can imagine, the Shadow Master is not a fan of science fiction or space opera, as he constantly refers to it. So, um, yeah, but so far I'm about halfway through. It's been hilarious. Um, it's great. Um, I think the highlight for me so far um, not to spoil anything, but it's a you know it's not really a spoiler and part of the story of the book at all. It's just one of the jokes that they make. Um, the do you recall at the end of the last book in the credits, I believe, or it might have been right before the credits. It might have been towards the end of the book. Like there was a there was a point in the audible narration where they broke the fourth wall, and the narrator of the audio book complained about what he was being asked to read and how it was specifically. Do, yeah. It was like the writer of the book had written in stuff specifically to make the audio narrator Jeffrey Kafer say that he had a penguin's penis. Yeah. I really- and 
And uh, and so in this book, and that's what I love is that they throw stuff in specifically for the audio readers or the audio listeners like us. And uh, in this particular book, there is a portion where um, the main character, you know, the shadow master shows up and he's being narrated by Jeffrey Kafer, the narrator of the audio book. However, the character he meets is then not narrated by Jeffrey Kafer. It's actually narrated by R.C. Bray, who is the narrator behind many books. Uh, the one I'm most familiar with and the book they reference in shadow master is he did the narration for Andy Weir's the Martian, which, you know, was then turned into a very, very popular, successful film starring Matt Damon. And uh, and so Jeffrey Kafer, the narrator, and R.C. Bray, the narrator, then proceed to break the fourth wall and argue with one another over their narrating abilities and why one guy hasn't won an award while the other guy has, and it just devolves. <laughs> and I was just I, – I, and it's, I've listened to uh, Andy Weir's The Martian narrated by – rc bray so like i knew i knew the voice immediately and i was like who is this guy i know him you know so it, it was fantastic i love the little stupid jokes that they throw in and the fact that he's you know uh, um i guess that all the narrators and indie authors are, are that close with one another that they can you know do this kind of stuff is is great so i've, I've really enjoyed the first half so far and you know uh, i'm expecting the second half to be just as good that's awesome. I uh, bought it just now. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that had come out. Holy crap. Yeah. I liked him on uh, – I liked his Facebook page, so I get a lot of updates on his books and stuff. Uh, and he's very active on his Facebook page. Like he interacts with his fans a lot and you know, uh, um, it, it seems like a very, uh, a very cool individual. All right. Cool. Awesome. Uh, so prior to that, I actually listened to a audio book and it's, this is a little out of the ordinary for me because it's not anything new. It's actually a fairly old book. It was written back in 1986 and it's called replay by Ken Grimwood. Uh, the audible version was narrated by William Dufris. Uh, and it was a book that was recommended to me by an attorney that I, uh, happen to do business with a lot in you know my real job and uh uh i was speaking with him on the phone one day and and we had been talking about science fiction and things like that uh you know on a tangent and he mentioned this book from 1986 and and uh recommended i listen to it or recommended i read it and so i, I actually it was already in my extensive audible library and i had just never listened to it and i went ahead and downloaded it and uh listened to the story and it was so it's kind of like a like a groundhog day story you know the guy uh the main character dies of a heart attack when he's 44 i believe in 19 1988 and then wakes up again <clears throat> when he is a 19 year old teenager i believe in like 1963 or something and then proceeds to relive the next 
25 years from 1963 to 1988 all over again. And that occurs multiple times throughout the course of the book. And uh, it was uh, calling it a Groundhog Day type story is a little bit of a is a little bit misleading because it is in no way, shape or form a comedy. You know, Uh, it's much darker story, a much deeper dive into, you know, like how how uh, tormenting would that be to actually live those 25 years of your life over and over and over again in real time, you know? Um, and every time you build a life, it just gets, you know, ripped away from you and then you start all over again. <clears throat> so it's a, it's a much, it's a much darker look into that type of time travel, if you want to call it that or whatever. Um, it was overall, it was a good story. The narrator did a good job. Um, I would have liked a little more um, closure at the end of the, of the book, but, uh, all in all, it was, a, it was a good, it was a good read. Good listen. Sounds super interesting. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. I uh, put it on my wish list. I used my last credit for the last book you told me about, so (laughs) I got to wait till uh, another 15 days for my next credit. I enjoy my audiobooks, so. And then uh, finally, just one more thing to toss in there uh, was that uh, just the other day, uh, Fox aired the Gotham series finale. Uh, it's a that's a show that I've enjoyed since it, it debuted. Uh, you know, telling the the origin stories of Batman and and lots of the Batman villains in their own odd way. Um, and the, the show finally came to a conclusion. You got to see a uh, little baby Batman in his little baby Batman suit fighting crime 10 years later, you know, after the one, the most of the series takes place, they flash forward for the series finale. Uh, commissioner Gordon is commissioner Gordon, you know, all that kind of stuff. You get to see, you know, penguin and Riddler and Joker specifically, you know, all, all, essentially in their uh, comic book uh, iterations. So I, I thought it was all well done and 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 really entertaining. So um, kudos to to Fox and and the you know DC for for their job on that show. I enjoyed the finale. Uh, on that note, have you seen the trailer for the new Joker movie? Yes. What do you think about it? Um, I think it looks pretty cool. Um, I feel like, um, the Joker's origin story can, of, of any comic book character, I feel like his is most malleable. Uh, you know, it's one that's been retconned multiple times and was never really, solid to begin with and so i feel like you can do a lot of stuff with his origin story and tell the tell it in a lot of different ways however when you do veer from what i guess would be the traditional uh telling of his origin as it appears they are doing you have to make sure you do it well or People are going to get pissed. So um, it looks intriguing to me, and I think that uh, it could be really, really cool. But I think there's also a you know a good uh, not a good, but there's a chance in there as well that it could just be awful. So, what do you think? I am very excited about it. I can't wait to see it. I love Joaquin Phoenix. 
Um, my thought process was this, though. At one point, um, it looks like the Joker is making Bruce Wayne smile as a child. Well, the Joker and Batman are generally thought to be the same age. Yeah, approximately. So if that's the case, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is not the Joker that we think of. Right. But probably the inspiration to that Joker. Well, and that's kind of the way they played it off in this Gotham series. Like, you know, they called the Riddler the Riddler and they call Penguin the Penguin. um, But the guy who became the Joker in this series was never referred to as the Joker. He was, you know, Jeremiah Velazquez and uh, and and he looks like the Joker. He's got the white face. He's been dumped in a pool of chemicals at Ace Chemicals. You know what I mean? But like they never actually called him the Joker. And uh, uh, and and his twin brother, who was the I don't something else Velasquez, I don't remember what his first name was. Um, but uh, you know, they specifically mentioned when he was brought on the show that he was not the Joker, and that these characters are all just inspirations for what the Joker would be and stuff like that. So I could definitely see them maybe going that direction as well in order to avoid the pitfall of trying to specifically tell an origin story of the Joker. Exactly. So I, I, yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to be, I'm going to be there to see it. it. It'll, it'll be a good, I mean, I like, I love Joaquin Phoenix. He's a great actor. So seeing him in a, as crazy of a role as it is. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. All right. Uh, for me, I've been up until five minutes ago, reading Delta V by Daniel Suarez. <laughs> Because now I'm gonna have to put that on hold. Oh, is there a new Daniel? Are, now, are you telling me there's new a new Daniel Suarez novel? There out? is a new Daniel oh, Suarez novel. Oh, yeah. see, maybe I'll have to buy this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Please tell me what is his new novel about? I really like the last. The last one was about um, DNA editing. Yes, DNA editing. Right, the the coolers and everything. What's yeah. this one about? This one is about um, space travel. And asteroid mining in the year 2032, I think. I've always liked stories about asteroid mining. This sounds great already. And they use, I mean, obviously, Daniel Suarez, he's using modern day stuff to do it. So, Oh, he writes great tech science fiction. Yeah, so the asteroid they're going to is Ryugu. Ryugu is right now where the Hayabusa Chinese probe is at. Right. So Ryugu is a real asteroid, you know, um... They're using all the what it is is like there's all these tech startups for space industry at this point in um, in the near future. And, you know, uh, they don't use any actual company names or any actual CEOs, but you could tell who these people are modeled after. And, you know, you have like um, one of them who has a um, that makes launches that are parabolic, like tourist attractions that take you up right on the edge of space and bring you down. Well, that's Virgin Galactic. Um, and then you have this one CEO that's just taking chances and just wants everybody else out of his way and he's got to do it. It's just got to work. And it's Elon Musk basically. (laughs) And, um, it's just all about, you know, all these other companies want to go to the moon and mine the moon, uh, or inhabit Mars or all these different things. And this one character, Nathan Joyce, he's a billionaire and he says, those are stupid. We need to mine asteroids. And it's all about the fact that, you know, he'll do whatever it takes 
to get a team of people up on an asteroid and mine it. Now, I am... I let me let me check. I am not very far through the book. I'm a halfway through, so it's a 16 hour read. Mm, good one. That's a that's a lengthy one. Yeah, and I've got I'm eight hours in, and it's it's been fantastic so far. It's just really really good. Um, I'm gonna have to look this up. Who narrates? Obviously, it? Jeff Gurner. Obviously. Oh, he does. I mean, gotcha. Jeff Gurner. If I ever met Daniel Suarez in person, I'd be surprised that he didn't sound like Jeff Gurner. So, <laughs> <laughs> just because every book he's written is Jeff Gurner. Um, yeah. I mean, it's if you like any of the other Daniel Suarez novels, you will not be disappointed because it is exactly the same kind of writing, same kind of story buildup. I mean, it's fantastic. So, yeah, Delta V, awesome stuff. Uh, let's see. Then, on my Netflix, I decided to sit down one night, and I tweeted Sean, or I uh, texted Sean about this when I was doing it, and I watched Behind the Curve, which is a documentary about flat earthers. Um, not about flat earth theory, as I thought, but it's actually about the flat earthers themselves. Uh, it was... yeah. It's kind of a vain little thing about a couple of the big flat earthers. Um, I for, I even forget the guy's first name. The last name's Sergeant. And some lady who he obviously wants to be together with, but I don't think they're actually... have. It's, it's weird. It's super weird. <laughs> um, just the entire movie, uh, the entire documentary is a little uncomfortable. Um just because you're you're watching all this stuff and it's like does does he you know he'll say something and it's like did he not hear that did he did he not did he not listen to that before he like said it um you know for at one point uh, <laughs> i forget exactly what the situation was but he's des- he's describing flatters he says uh we want to we want to be known as what we are not as a bunch of guys who live in their mom's basement um, you know, we're not all guys who live in our mom's basements and this kind of thing. And you realize, though, throughout the movie that he lives, it looks like he lives with his mother. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, um, uh, okay, cool. And then um, one of the situations that they uh, that they were talking about, one of the, what I, what I enjoy Put all that vain crap to the side where he's talking about how awesome he is and how, you know, how much he knows more than other people and how much he's proven and all this different stuff. It, it's really uncomfortable. And there's one situation where someone else is talking about an experiment that they were doing. And now this gets to my this gets me. This is interesting. Like, OK, what's the experiment? You know, convince me, please, because obviously one of us has to be wrong. And right now I think it's you. But convince me i want the information um and he says well they were figuring that if they had a gyroscope and they could measure the gyroscope you know with the earth's uh, spin they should lose i believe it was like five degrees of drift um i think per hour which is like you know 360 you know divided whatever anyway so they expected to see you know they didn't expect to see that drift because the earth isn't rotating right it's just going through space so they they couldn't they said they couldn't do it with regular equipment. They would have to buy this like crazy $20,000 laser gyroscope or something. And they actually ended up getting the money together. And they bought a laser gyroscope and they set it up 
and they started measuring the drift and the drift was exactly the exactly amount exactly what would, it's supposed to be it was exactly what you would expect from a round earth and they were like okay well maybe the magnetic poles are interfering with it okay sure uh so they enclosed it in uh, a box made of uh, i forget what the box is made out of uh, the specific material um to completely negate all outside interference and then they measured the ger- the drift and the drift was exactly what you would expect for a round earth <laughs> and then they said their next uh their next try is going to be to encase the entire gyroscope in bismuth and see if that gives them the same result and i'm like should we just start at the top of the periodic table and move our way down like, so un- until <laughs> they've found something that interferes with this gyroscope doing its proper function exactly. and gives them the results they want uh-huh. they're not going to stop you know if we would just encase it completely in concrete right i mean well there you go it. look yeah. at that and unplug it completely then there would be no drift <laughs> haha so I encourage anyone who is, uh, and see, the thing is, like, I mean, the entire thing, time and time again, every experiment they try to do gets disproven, all this different stuff. And at the very end, I think they, they ended the documentary in the correct way, because we do make fun of flat earthers on here, and I will make fun of flat earthers pretty much all the time. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to be a better person, but it's not working. Um, but they do end the the documentary with uh, some NASA people basically saying, you know, we can't shut these people out, you know, because they are thinkers. And just because someone thinks differently than you doesn't mean that they're technically wrong unless they just won't see reason. Now, some of these people obviously will not see reason. However, if someone just is inquisitive, and that's the conclusion they come to, that the Earth is flat, if they're willing to work through it with other scientists to either prove or disprove, I, I say give them a chance, you know? I mean, because somebody had to prove the Earth was round, you know? We proved that the Earth rotates around the sun, and those were crazy ass ideas when those were brought up. So, you know, yeah, the Earth is flat. It's it's a crazy ass idea, and there's a lot of proof out there that proves it wrong. But maybe the people who think that it's true, that's the fact. Maybe we just give them the resources to test their theory, and then once they're wrong, they're wrong, and then they'll they'll move on. But try not to shut them out completely, because that is how you make a conspiracy theorist and a fanatic almost, I guess, you know? So, eh, I don't know. It, it was very interesting though. If you are even the least bit interested in the people, uh, of the flat earth theory and the flat earth society, watch it. Flat earth theory, theory itself. Eh, you don't really get a whole lot out of it. Uh, some giggles and some laughs, but <laughs> you know, like every time they do an experiment, it would fall flat. They'd, wouldn't get their expected result i'm like um yeah that that was that was what was supposed to happen so it's nasa they're perpetrating great lie anyway uh the last thing i was into i've been into i've been binge watching not eh, a couple episodes a day of a tv show called into the badlands 
Have you watched this? No. It's an AMC show. <laughs> and it's post uh I guess you would call it post apocalyptic. Um but it's a very recovered post apocalyptic cuz there's like, you know, houses and electricity and things like that. Um but it is basically feudal Japan. Uh it's in it looks like it's America. Uh, from where in North America, from where from all the things you see around, um, but there are barons who control certain swaths of land, and opium is a big thing. And the barons have what are called clippers, which are uh, like you know guns are illegal, so no guns exist. Uh, you have bow and arrow, crossbow, you know swords, knives, that kind of stuff. And the clippers are like train killers with samurai swords, uh, you know, shogun basically. Um, but it is a, just a very brutal, gory, um, but yet awesome, uh, Kung Fu TV show. Yeah. It's martial arts. Um, and it, it just, it just is a pretty damn good show. So it's, uh, like I said, it's AMC. Uh, Nick Frost is in it, which I didn't. I didn't know until I got to his part of this ne- the second season. Um, I love his character; he's awesome. So, yeah, if you like uh, if you like martial arts movies, you like uh, sword play and some blood, check it out. Not uh, surprisingly, though, um, or you know, or su- surprisingly, not not surprisingly, but surprisingly. Um, it actually does avoid, and I guess this is probably an AMC thing. It does avoid the catch of modern day blood and gore shows where there's just a lot of sex. Um, cause there's not in this one. It is mostly just about fighting and that's kind of cool. You know, so, if you like martial arts stuff, check it out though. Into the Badlands. I'm, there's three seasons out right now. I'm on the second one. Was that like a like a veiled shot at Game of Thrones and all the boobs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's a great show and it's got lots of awesome action and blood and guts and everything. But there's also a lot of sex. And I, I only say that because, <clears throat> you know, there are certain people who, you know, have to forego watching stuff like that simply because of the sex. I have a, I have a friend of mine who is a very religious person and he can handle like some violence and some blood and some guts because it's, you know, what he considers historically accurate. But, um, you know, the sex is just too much for him. And it's like, eh, well, you know, you're, you're 30 years old, but okay. Right. <laughs> I mean, I hope- sex, sex is pretty historically accurate too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's what can you do? I like the TNA, but that's okay. So, uh, that's all we got. We're done. Through. Just about the two-hour mark. Should we just sit here in silence for five minutes and make it two hours? No.